scripture this morning is going to be taken from Genesis 40 and 41. And as you notice, it's quite a long reading this morning that we're going to do. And, and we do it that way. Steve decided to do it that way because certain passages uh, truly demand that we uh, read everything in context so that we can understand better what we're doing. As you will notice, it is a story of Joseph. Uh, we continue on the journey through the book of Genesis. And in this time, Joseph is, um, is going to interpret a dream. It is the same dream in both chapters, um, tell, told in, in different ways. And as you're going to notice, we skip some verses between chapter 40 and 41. So uh, all that is written in your bulletin, so you don't have to worry about that. Because it's such a long reading, instead of you standing today, you can sit. And that will be fine. Okay, so we'll, we'll do that reading seated this morning. So the word of the Lord reads in the following way. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continue for some time in custody. At one night, they both dream, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream was his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officer, who worked with, who worked with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we, we have had a dream, uh, dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph as, and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed shut forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cups was in my hand, and I took the grace and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to, men to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief uh, baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, uh, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cape uh, baskets on my, on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked uh, food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of it, out of, out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift, you, lift, lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer 
and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he handed the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that if you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up and, and after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one will have known that they have eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing of one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered then and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but they were no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will, uh, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe." And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the things is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of, of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of this good year that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let, let them keep it. That food shall be a, severe, a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land might not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom, in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall, you shall be over my house, 
and all my people shall order themselves as your command, as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his thinet uh, ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Tafina and he gave him in marriage Asena, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asina, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, before, uh, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my, uh, and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, and Joseph has said, as Joseph has said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says you do, do. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Joseph, to Egypt, to buy grain, because the famine was so severe all over the earth. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we, we worship you and we praise you because of your powerful word that today once more will be proclaimed to us. Father, we ask you that you will take our hearts, our souls, our minds, our wills. So once we hear your word, we'll be able to apply it all to everything that we do. Our Heavenly Father, it's our sincere desire to, to do your will and to do it in accordance to your word. Help us, Lord, to do that today. Please be with Steve as he, as he opens that word to us today. We know that you have been with him, leading him through your spirit so that he could study and prepare so that we can today be edified through him and by you. Send your spirits, Lord, into, into our presence, and please lead us today and lead Steve 
for we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last night I visited this under, underground igloo, and it had this, this little opening, and you had to kind of get down on your hands and knees and crawl down into this igloo, and then there was this big cavern underneath all of this snow, and then all of a sudden we were going to have a, a baptism service there. And everybody wanted to come really close to where the baptism was going to take place. Except we couldn't find the candidates for baptism. So that's what happened to me last night. Did you dream last night? Do you, do you remember your dream? Just so happened I remember my dream from last night. So I wonder what that means. That dream I had with the... Uh, underground igloo where's joseph when you need him right so today's story is all about dreams and the dreams in this story are about the kind of dreams that you have usually when your eyes are closed but even more than that this story is about the kind of dreams that you have when your eyes are open so turn to your note page and here's our main idea this morning when our dreams seem to evaporate, know that the Lord's dreams always come true, so let him form, interpret, and fulfill our dreams. Now, maybe some of you don't like that main idea. Is that maybe too fluffy for you? Does that, does that kind of sound like something you'd hear from a TV evangelist? Well, let me, let me qualify the main idea just a little bit. When, when I say dreams here, in this case, I'm not talking about the dreams that you have with your eyes closed. I'm not talking about those crazy dreams with the underground igloo and, you know, and the purple mushroom coming off your head or something like that, or the nightmares that you may have had from last night. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your, your future hope, your dreams as in your future hope as in your goals and your aspirations, as the way you look out and, you, and when you would like things to be. I want things to be that way. Wouldn't it be great if? So that kind of dream. And then also in the main idea, when I talk about the Lord's dreams, I don't mean that the Lord is sitting back and he has this dream and it's like, boy, I hope, I hope this all works out. I'm not meaning that. But maybe better word than dream would be the word promise. Or his purposes, or his plan, or his covenant. And that always comes true. He always works out his purposes according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11, always. So the best way to make your dreams come true is to align your dreams with his. And we're going to see some of that in the story today. So Genesis 40, 41, look at the outline, is in your notes. And here's point number one, fill in the blank. Point number one is dreams in the pit. Dreams in the pit. 
Now, let me just give you a, a real quick review of the Joseph story so far. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son out of the 12 sons. He gave Joseph a coat of many colors. And Joseph had two dreams. And the brothers hated the dreams and they hated Joseph. And so they threw Joseph into a pit to let him die. And then they thought, oh, it's better if we sell him to the Egyptians. So they did that. And so Joseph was in Egypt and he served in Potiphar's house. And he did really well in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife accused him of sexual advances. And then he ended up in prison. And so that's where we pick up the story today. Joseph finds himself in prison. And you know, I think prisoners probably have a lot of time to think. And Joseph just might have been thinking, what happened here? One day I had this, I had this important position for this important man, and the next day, here I am in prison. That stupid woman. Joseph might have also have been thinking back, even further back. How, how did I get here? One day, I was, I was my father's favorite. And then the next day, I'm sold off to the Egyptians. That stupid coat of many colors. That stupid dream. I should have kept my mouth shut. But it's important for us in this story to, to remember that stupid dream from Genesis 37. It was actually two dreams. And you remember that uh, there was all the sheaves. And the sheaves bowed down to Joseph as the sheave. And then there was the, the sun and the moon and the stars. And they all bowed down to Joseph. And basically the meaning of the dream was that everybody is going to bow down to Joseph. And everybody hated that dream. And you can certainly understand why if you're one of those brothers, right? Who is this guy? Punk brother dream like that, flaunting that in our face. We'll take you and your dreams and throw you both into the pit. And that's what they did. So Joseph was sold into Egypt. There he was, rotting in an Egyptian prison. Surely the dream is dead. Surely the dream is in the pits. Ah, but not so fast. And that's where chapter 40 then builds on that. That's where it goes from here. Builds on the dream and the dreamer buried in the pit. In fact, if maybe you noticed in verse 15, the writer wants to remind us of that previous story... And instead of using the word prison when he refers to what's happening here, he specifically uses the word pit. So that we think, okay, here we go again, Jesus in, uh, Joseph in another pit. And, that, and being in a pit, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great image, isn't it? It's a, being in a pit is a very descriptive metaphor that we all can connect with, at least emotionally. In the pit. I'm in the pits. Have you ever said that? Man, I am just in the pits today. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that you, you're just, you're low, you're, you're, you're down, you're, you're below the surface. Or it means that you're, that you're just trapped. I mean, I am, I am, you're trapped, you're closed in. And you're, you're in a situation that you can't get out of. I'm all alone here. Can anybody hear me? It's a situation in which there's no hope. You're, you're in the pit. And the Psalms are loaded with, with language like that, with, with that, those kind of words and images. And we read those Psalms and we say amen to them because we really can connect. And listen to Psalm 88. Get this. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to shale, and I am counted among those who go down to the pit, and I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. And you have caused my companions to shun me, and you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. What a description, huh? Have you ever felt like that? You ever got into that situation? In the pit. Joseph must have felt just like that. But not only that, the question that we have to ask as we, as we come to this part of the story is, where's God? What's God doing? What about, what about God's covenant? I mean, what about, the, what about this story in Genesis that's going along? I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all that. What about the covenant? What about the promises? What about the land? What about the, uh, the name? What about all of the people and the blessings that you're going to have? Where did all of that storyline go? This is, you got to read this whole thing. This is just great storytelling, isn't it? You read these stories, and there's the ins and the outs, and there's the twists, and there's the turns. And this is just one of those stories, like, you remember your parents, as parents, or your kids remember this, or you remember this as kids, when you read, you read one of those stories that have twists and turns, and all of a sudden, something really bad happens in the story, and you go, oh, no. As a kid, you're going, oh, no, what's, what, what's going to happen here? And then... But all of a sudden, wait a minute, something happens. And then it's like, okay, this is good. And then, oh, no, all of a sudden something bad happens. And it's like, oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Now, after you've read the story a couple of times, you kind of know that it's coming. And so you say, oh, this is, oh, yeah, but yeah, but, but something's coming. And, that, and that's what we have here. So Joseph, he's in the pit, but wait, there's another dream in the pit. Chapter 40, verse 5. One night, they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were, who were confined in the prison. So the story is that the king's cupbearer and the baker had both offended the king, and so they had both landed in prison along with Joseph, and they had these dreams, and Joseph offered 
to help with the dream. In verse 8, he says, um, they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Now that question was not just for the cupbearer and the baker. But that question is also for us as the reader. We're supposed to see that. Do not interpretations belong to God? Did you get that, reader? Significant question, or maybe significant statement, and very important statement for, for these dream stories. God interprets things. Reader, I want you to notice that in this story. God interprets things when most times none of us have a clue as to what's going on, right? But he does. And yet, who interprets the dream here? Who does? Joseph, right? Joseph, God's man in the pit. God is at work in the pit. So it looks like the story is starting to turn around here. Yay, this is getting good. Because Joseph interprets the dreams. And he interprets the dreams by saying that the cupbearer's head is going to be lifted up. And the baker's head is, well... He won't be doing any donuts anymore. So there is this glimmer of hope for Joseph because he's got this interpretation. So verse 14, it says, after the interpretation, Joseph says, But only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. So, there we are. And Joseph's interpretation is exactly right. So, yay, this looks good. Not only does he give the interpretation, but the interpretation is right, and the baker is hanged. And the cupbearer uh, gets his job back. So this is good. But wait. Oh no. There's another twist to the story. Verse 23. And yet the chief cupbearer returned to his job. Did not remember Joseph. But forgot him. And then the chapter ends. And the sermon's over. See you next week. You see, you can't stop there, can you? And, and this is when, you know, your, your children say, no, no, read on, read on. It gets better. It's okay. It gets better. Right? And so the chapter ends. And the chapter ends, and the dream and the dreamer are still in the pit. But wait. Chapter 41, there are more dreams yet to come. And one of the things that we see as we look at chapter 40 and 41 together is that dreams are about the future, aren't they? 
The dreams are future-focused, dreams about what's going to happen. And, and it's about hope, and hope, hope, is about, hope is about the future. Not today, but about what's going to happen. And dreams are about hope, about looking ahead, and about anticipation, and about, about better things are coming ahead. That's what dreams are about. But at the end of chapter 40 here, the future, all of a sudden, is held in suspense. And that's an awful place to be, isn't it? It's awful to be held in suspense. We, you hate to pick up the phone, and then you listen to music. You hate that. Don't we hate that? You have to listen to the music? Your call is important to us. We are experiencing a high rate of volume. Your call will be taken in the order in which it was received. Your wait time is approximately 98 minutes. Right? We hate that. And here, at the end of chapter 40, hope is on hold. Joseph, please wait. Your wait time, the rest of your life, is... How long? But the story doesn't end with chapter 40. We had to go on. And your story doesn't end with whatever it is that's going on today. Your story doesn't end today. And if, you're, if your life is in the pit today, this isn't the end of your story. God's dream has a future for you. Is that too fluffy for you? God's dream has a future for you because God is in the pit. And God is working his plan. And he is working his plan even when you feel like you are on hold. Or even when you feel like you have been forgotten. And chapter 41 is huge in advancing God's plan. So point number two in your notes. First we had dreams in the pits. Point number two, dreams in the palace. Dreams in the palace. Chapter 41, verse 1. Very clearly here. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Joseph, your wait time is two years. Right? And now the story switches from the pit to the palace. And this is significant because, we, because we're also moving from this personal thing going on with Joseph in this little small context. We're moving from a personal situation to now all of a sudden we're moving to the world stage. Egypt. Powerful nation. And now we are given... This front row seat in Pharaoh's palace, the headquarters of world domination. We are taken into the very situation room of global activity. What's going on in Egypt, what's going on in Pharaoh's palace is significant for the world. And there is Joseph. He was in the pit, and now he's there. And there is God 
as well. Kind of behind the scenes. So powerful Pharaoh, who has access to all of the best and wisest people in the world, he is troubled. Verse 41, verse 15, chapter 41, verse 15. I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. So powerful Pharaoh, who has access to the best and wisest people in all of the world, pulls a guy out of a prison pit because of the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers, oh yeah, there is this guy. And he pulls him out of the pit and he asks this guy for an interpretation that nobody out of all the best and wisest in the whole world can come up with. And here's Joseph. And yet Joseph answers by saying, it is not in me, but from God. And again, that word is given to Pharaoh, but that word is also given to us as the reader. It's not in me, it's from God. Isn't that great? Interpretations come from God. And yet, once again, who interprets Pharaoh's dream? Joseph. Joseph, God's man in the palace. God is in the world's situation room. There he is. Now the dream, of course, it's about seven skinny cows eating up seven fat cows. And it's about seven withered ears of corn being eaten up, or, or eating up seven good ears of corn. And the meaning of the dreams are that the world is going to have seven years of feast or fullness, and then it's going to have seven years of famine. And so Joseph then, he, has, he gives that interpretation of the dream, but Joseph also has a plan to save the kingdom by saving some food for later. Good plan. And Pharaoh likes the plan, and so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of everything. Powerful nation of Egypt, Joseph is number two. And so wherever, so Joseph is given his chariot, and wherever Joseph goes, people do what? What do they do? Bow down. Hmm, sounds familiar. That stupid dream. What was I thinking? This is a great story. We just gotta love this. Everybody's gonna bow down to Joseph, the guy who had the dream. But it's not just Joseph's rags to riches story. It's not just that, is it? It's not just God will move you from the pit to the palace. It's not just that. The question that we need to ask here is what's really going on in this story? And I want you to, to look at your text and I want you to underline four phrases, okay? Four phrases from the text. We're in chapter 41. First of all, I want you to look at verse 25. I'm so glad I have the temperature here instead of the time. Verse 25. God, are you with me? 41, 25, underline this. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams, two dreams, means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. And then Pharaoh himself gets this in verse 39. Since God has shown you all this. You see that? Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge. But who's really in charge? Huh? Yes. You got it. You got it. God is really in charge. Pharaoh's dream here is not from bad pizza. It is really the working out of God's dream. That's what's happening here. And then what happens that follows here is the amazing chain of events that impacts the whole world. It sets in motion God's dream. It begins to advance the plan of salvation. So see, what, what, what's happening here is God sets up Joseph to be the savior of Israel. Because they're going to starve in a famine. But God has Joseph there. But not only that, God sets up Joseph to be the savior of the world. In that many nations are going to come in. Many starving nations. And so what the story does here is it, it, it points us to God's future dream. It points us to the ultimate savior, Jesus. And it points us to God's future plan of salvation of all of the starving nations coming in. And you see how the story ends then? Verse 57. Moreover, all the people came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. God sovereignly working salvation. Wow, what a story. So much that we can't talk about in this story, but let me just make four applications. So point number three in your notes, dreams in famine and fullness. Dreams in famine and fullness. And this point number three, these are the applications. Four applications. Number one, God is always at work fulfilling his dream. God is always at work fulfilling his dream. God will always be at work accomplishing his perfect will. He's at work in the pit. He's at work in the palace. He's at work in the fullness. He's at work in the famine. He is at work in your personal life, and he is at work on the world scene, in control of all that's going on. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will what? Reign. He will reign forever. Application number two. In fact, application number two and three are from the names of, of Joseph's sons, and we didn't really deal with this. We kind of skipped it, but we shouldn't have because it's a really important part of understanding the story and it kind of helps us to bring it all together. So verse 51, get this. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all of my father's house. So application number two is God can make you forget your hardship. 
really? Yes, you may still feel the pain. Yes, you may still feel the weight. Yes, you may still carry the scars. But the Lord can move you through it. Like he did Joseph. Maybe not to a palace. But the Lord can lift up your head. And he can set your feet on a rock. And he can put a new song in your mouth. And he can sharpen your vision so that you see God's future and what he's doing, what he promises. And what he has done in Christ Jesus as a Savior who came to forgive sins. He can offer you forgiveness and healing so that your new forgetful, so that you can have a new forgetfulness even in hardship. Second son's name, verse 52 the name of the second son was called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Application number three, God can make you fruitful in, in, in affliction. God can make you fruitful in affliction. Your struggles don't have to choke you. They don't have to choke you. Afflicted, but not crushed. Paul said, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, the life of Jesus always at work in you. Your afflictions and your pains and your struggles and your, and your injustices and your abuses and all of those things that have, that, that, that have happened to you, yes, they truly hurt. But they don't have to stall out your life. They don't have to paralyze you. They don't have to, to dam up the flow of your whole life. The power of God's future in Christ can flow within you and release a fruitfulness that only comes from Him. Instead of a spirit of heaviness. Let the oil of gladness flow down from the throne. Application number four. Worship the God who has guaranteed the fulfillment of his dream and sealed it with the blood of Jesus. Guaranteed what he said will be fulfilled. In, in dream research... They use brain imaging, and they use uh, EEGs and MRIs and all of those kind of things, and they hook up the wires and, and the electrodes and all of that stuff, you know, and then they're looking at a monitor, and they're capturing the data, and it spits out then like this dream report, which has the brain wave, the activity of the brain, and the brain wave activity has, that's on there, and you can read that report, and you go, okay, here it is, ooh, ooh like that. If all of our attention in these stories is aimed toward Joseph's dreams and the bakers and the cupbearers and Pharaoh's and ours, then we might be reading the wrong dream report. We may have the electrodes and the wires in the wrong place because Genesis 40 and 41, we need to read 
God's dream report. We need to see what, in this story, we need to see what he has done, all that he has done out of love to save us. And when we see that, we'll believe and we'll worship. And that's the invitation to everyone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us. You, the one who spared not your own son, how will you not also through him freely give us all things? No, Lord, turn us from our little, small, small, small dreams and turn us to you, Lord Jesus, you who are doing something so great. Help us to lay hold of the future that you have planned for us as we live for you in Christ Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.